This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as a Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, When Jealousy and Fear Rule, and that comes from 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 16. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talking could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone, or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Or you can catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. Go to that application and search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Now today we pick back up in the book of 1 Samuel. We've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of 1 Samuel. Now last week we studied about the nation of Israel and the battle that the Philistines had challenged them to. The Philistines were sitting on one side of the valley and the nation of Israel was on the other and the Philistines had challenged them to a representative battle. Let me explain to you what that is, because we didn't really dive too much into this last week, because I really wanted to talk about what we saw out of David. A represented battle or war was where one man from that army came out to represent that army and to battle to death against someone that represented the other army, and only those two battled. Now, these two men would battle to the death. And the victor, his armies would wind up being the champion, while the loser, that army would become servants to the army that they lost to. So that's what happened here in chapter 17. And so the Philistines put out their number one champion, their nine and a half foot giant called Goliath. And of course, the Israelites put their best soldier out in front. And that was this five foot four, 17 year old, acne carrying, red headed child. His name was David. Actually, they didn't put David forward. David volunteered. For 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath came out and challenged them and cursed them and cursed the God of the nation of Israel. And David shows up because his father gives him food to take to his son and to check on his sons that were with the army. And while he's there, he hears Goliath curse the God of the nation of Israel. And he says, who is this uncircumcised man that is cursing God? I pointed out that David was motivated to defend the honor and the name of the Lord. Yet no one else, not even King Saul, who was the tallest and the biggest from the whole army, was willing to go out and face Goliath. Well, you all know the story. He goes out with his one sling, 
not with a sword, not with any armor, but with a sling, and he picked up five smooth stones. But it only took one stone. And the Lord guided that stone directly into Goliath's forehead, and he knocked him to the ground. He killed him there, and then he took his sword and he cut off his head. That day was a huge battle for the nation of Israel, and it set David up to be a loved man, a wise man, a brave man, and ultimately the best king that ever went through the nation of Israel. David made it crystal clear, though, before the battle ever happened, when he spoke to Goliath that he came in the name of the Lord. He knew his identity. He told him the battle was the Lord. He knew who was going to fight this battle. And he said that the armies of the one and true living God will be victorious that day and that his body wouldn't be feed to the birds of the heavens, but their bodies would. He didn't take any glory. He pointed all the glory to God. And he said, this is God's battle and God will deliver you today. If you remember, I made it perfectly clear, I think, that David did not point to himself as the hero of this story. That God was the hero of the story. He was just a puppet in the play. David was just a piece, a chess piece in the battle and the move that God wanted to ultimately happen. And I challenged each and every one of you that was listening that are you a vessel being used by God? Does everything you do, when you face your giant, when you face your Goliath, is it you battling or is it God battling and you are just a vessel being used by God? One of the things we'll see today is that David is tested in this very area. Is God really the one that gets the glory or does David let it go to his head? Does he let the popularity, how will he handle the popularity of winning such a battle? I really didn't get to cover this last week, but we saw at the end of chapter 17, if you went ahead and read that, that as soon as Saul saw David go out against uh, Goliath, he asked his right-hand man, Abner, who is the son of this youth? And Abner answered him and said, I don't know. So when David comes back carrying the Philistine's head, when he's carrying the head that he's chopped off, he's standing there and Saul asked him, whose son are you? And David asked him, said, I am the son of Jesse. And that's where we're picking back up today. So if you would turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 1. We'll read the first couple of verses. I'll be reading now the ESV. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him, and he gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. I really want to dive into this unity and this friendship that we see in these first five verses with Jonathan and David. All right, now close your eyes and picture what I just read you like you're watching a movie. David is standing there, as gross as it may be, holding the head of Goliath. And as he gets through talking with Saul, the king, it's Jonathan, the son of King Saul, that has this intimate friendship with David. Their souls become like one. They have this unity that the Holy Spirit inspires. 
See, God knew that David was going to need an intimate friend to walk him through the dark valley that was ahead of him. Remember that when he was anointed king, immediately he went out back to the sheep and he started watching them. We'll see today he doesn't become king after this victorious battle. What we find is that David goes back and starts playing the harp in the house of Saul. But Saul tries to kill David. David's going to fight almost 15 years before he becomes king. And his enemy is the man that he just spoke to, King Saul. See, this friendship would be memorable because both of them needed this friendship The Holy Spirit inspired this friendship, and as David is threatened, Jonathan will be there, believe it or not, to give him some guidance and to be that spirit that he needs to help him through some dark times. My statement to you today is, do you have other brothers in Christ? Do you have other sisters in Christ? Do you have those friendships that can be there because we were created to have friendships? Solomon wrote in Proverbs 17, 7, that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born from adversity. We see out of adversity right here that Jonathan and David, that friendship is born out of this adversity with Goliath. Paul knew that we needed those friendships, those Christian friends and that words of encouragement. He wrote to the Thessalonian church. He wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5:11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as the fact you are doing. Job, who went through some of the greatest adversity in the Bible, what did he say in Job 6, 14? Anyone withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. God knew that David needed an intimate friend with one with the same spirit. And so he and Jonathan meet here and they have that intimate friendship. They have this unity, an immediate bond. You know, if anything, it seems a little awkward because if anybody that should have been threatened by David's rise to power, if anybody should have been threatened by how quickly and how well the people loved him, it should have been Jonathan. But we don't find that anywhere that Jonathan was ever jealous or threatened by David. Jonathan would have been the immediate heir, the apparent heir to the throne. But there was never a sign of his pettiness or envy or anger. Jonathan shows us that the very characteristic of friendship, a good friend is willing to sacrifice. And we see how he's willing to give up all that he has as a sign. He gives him his clothes. He gives him his armor. He's saying, you are the same as us. You are a part of us. You are now family with us. But even more than that, he's a good friend and he's willing to sacrifice. He's willing to sacrifice his throne to David. You don't have to beg a good friend for a favor, do you? And what we see here is Jonathan was that kind of person. Jonathan wanted to give David something that belonged to him and something that was meaningful to him. And Jonathan gave David his robe and his armor and his sword and his bow and his belt. And the other thing we can learn from this is that a good friend like Jonathan is a loyal defender. A good friend is not fair weathered. He is a loyal defender of you. He doesn't talk against you behind your back. And we'll see later that Jonathan defends David against his own father. And we see that on numerous accounts. And it almost cost Jonathan even his life because he did do that. But most importantly, God knew that he was going to need an encourager. And that's the part of a good friend. They are a constant source of encouragement. Jonathan was a constant source of encouragement to David. One of the best examples we'll see later in this story is when David has to run from Saul. It's at one of the lowest points. 
but Jonathan is able to go to David and bring him encouragement. We'll see that when we get to chapter 23. What a beginning we see right here in just these five verses. Jonathan becomes one in spirit with David and loves him as himself. And he makes a covenant of friendship with David, and he puts David even before his own self. When we have that right love in us, when we have the Holy Spirit living in us, then it makes us seek out unity, and it helps us with others, and it helps us put others before ourselves. You know, Jesus said that the greatest commandment was that we were to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. And then what was the second one he said? He said we are to love others like we love ourselves. But now we see a change. We see jealousy and fear that comes from Saul about David. Look back at verse 5 with me real quick. Right here we see in verse 5 that when David went out and he was successful, whatever Saul sent him to do. And Saul sent him over men and he sent him out to war. And everything he did was good in the sight of all the people and in all the sight of Saul's servants. So Saul starts giving David more and more tasks, and everything David does, he does successfully. After the incident with Goliath, David is popular with all the people. He's a national hero. If they had action figures in those days, David would have been an action figure. And we see right here in verse 5 that David is so successful with everything that Saul starts giving him that he gives him a high rank in the army. And this pleased everyone. Those that were in the army... We know it pleased Jonathan because of their same spirit. Jonathan loved David as himself, but it also pleased the people is what this verse says. It even pleased Saul's officers. Now guess who's not mentioned though that was pleased? And that's Saul, King Saul himself. Saul's not pleased with all of this. Why? Because he's jealous. And jealousy prevents us from taking pleasure in people's success. And let me show you that. Look at verse 6 through 9 with me. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tamarines and with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another and they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands. And that would have been great if the song had stopped right there. But unfortunately, it didn't. They added a second verse to it, and it said that David struck down his ten thousands. And that's what made Saul angry. That's what it says in verse 8. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousand, and to me they've only ascribed a thousand. And what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul's always worried that he's going to have a coup take over. They're going to want David to be the king. And Saul eyed David from that day on. One of the things that happened back in this time, whenever the men came back from war, there was like this ticker tape parade. And what the Bible tells us is that all the women, it says it right there in verse 6, that all the women from around the nation come to Jerusalem. All the cities of Israel is what it says. And they're singing and they're dancing. They got their tambourines. They're having fun and joy. I mean, they start singing this song. As, the, as Saul comes by and he says that Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands. But I want you to see Saul's response. Right there in verse 8, it says, Saul was very angry. This saying displeased him. If you have a King James Bible, it says, and Saul was very wroth. That even sounds worse than angry. The Christian Standard Bible says, Saul was furious. 
However you want to read it, raw, furious, or angry, he was not a happy camper about the second part of the verse. He says, they credit him with tens of thousands, but they only credit me with a thousand. What more could he have than the kingdom? So out of this anger, look how Saul responds. Look at verse 9 with me. I told you in the ESV, it says, Saul eyed David from that day on. In the NIV, it said that Saul kept a close eye on him. In the New Living Translation, it says that he kept a, what, a jealous eye on David. The New American Standard Bible says that it was a suspicious eye of David. What it tells us is that Saul does no longer trust David because he's jealous, he's fearful. So I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. From now on until Saul dies, he is going to be jealous. He is going to have a jealous eye on David. Here's what I want you to learn from this. First of all, it wasn't Saul's kingdom that he's worried that David is going to take over. It was God's kingdom. And Saul, why do you care what he's going to do with his kingdom? It is his kingdom. He's the one that put you into power. But out of his anger and his jealousy, it robs him from taking pleasure in David's success and someone else's success. And the question would be to you, is there someone you're jealous of? Is there someone that you have a jealous eye, a fearful eye of? Are you like Saul and you're jealous of someone else's popularity? Has someone in your world upstaged you just like the 17-year-old boy has upstaged Saul? Are you like Saul and jealous and fearful of who's upstaged you? Today, I want you to challenge yourself. I want you to examine your heart. How well do you handle when you've been passed over? When you've gone unnoticed and someone got the spot that you should have gotten? We see right here in this section of scripture that King Saul did not handle it right. But how are you handling that? How have you handled it in the past when someone got the job that you thought you should have got? How have you handled it in the past when you didn't make the cut, yet somebody that wasn't as talented as you, someone that didn't have as much heart as you, they made the cut for whatever reason, political or whatever. They made the cut you didn't. How did you handle that? How do you respond when that one that you've asked and they say no and you're passed over for someone else, someone that you cared for, yet they didn't have the same feelings for you? I can tell you how you're supposed to handle it. You're supposed to handle it the way David did. We saw that last week. I talked about this. David knew his identity in Christ. And until you know your identity in Christ, you'll be more like Saul than you will be like David. Listen to what Proverbs 23 verse 17 says about this. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. And in the words, what Solomon is telling us is don't worry about others. Don't look at others, but walk in the fear of the Lord and it'll take care of itself. If you know your identity in Christ, if you are walking in Christ, then you won't have that jealousy and that fear. Paul taught on this as well. He told the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12, he tells them, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are committing themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. What Paul is telling them is don't judge yourself against somebody else. Judge yourself based on your identity in the Lord. Look at the Lord. Don't be proud because when we become prideful, we are like a moment in time. 
It's like a fad that happens. When we get proud, we will have the fall that will come. We will fade out just like that song or that fad fades away. And what Paul is telling the church at Corinth is that don't compare yourself to one another. Guess what? You're not keeping your eyes focused on who? God, on Jesus. And so if you don't want to be like Saul, then we need to make sure we have our identity in Christ and we are focused on Christ. But Saul's fear and jealousy comes, we see it first in this parade and this joyful singing. But then we see a jealous attack. Look with me at verses 10 through 16 with me. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. And we studied that again a, a couple of weeks ago about this harmful spirit from God. It was not a spirit that God created, but it was a spirit that God allowed. That's really what it should say. The next day, a harmful spirit allowed by God rushed upon Saul is what it should say instead of a spirit from God. And he rabbed within his house while David was playing the lyre. And as he did day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand. And Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. But he had departed from Saul. So Saul removed from him the presence and made him a commander of the thousands. And he went out and came in before the people. What that means is he went out to battle and he came back in victorious. And David had success in all of his undertakings. For the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David, and he went out and came in before them. So what happens? Now the ticker tape parades over. The next day, where do we find David? He's sitting in a servant spot. He's playing the harp. There's this spirit that has come back over Saul. And Saul gets mad, and he grabs his spear, and he says, Well, if I can't be the most popular David sure won't be, and he throws the spear at David, and he misses him. Now, that would have been enough for me. I would have got up and left. I'd have been like, hey, dude, if you don't want me here, I'm out of here. But obviously, that's not what happened. David kind of went, hmm, okay. He kept sitting there playing because it says that he evaded him twice. Here's what I want you to get from this. Jealousy and anger will make you strike out at others, just like he tried to take David out. Jealousy starts on the inside, but it doesn't stay there. Your jealousy, you can try to hold it in. You can try to bite your tongue, but that jealousy is going to come out. Eventually, it will work its way out. Now, you may not have the spear in your hand, but you may have daggers in your eyes. You have a tongue that will cut deeper than a sword. You may not throw a physical weapon just like Saul did here, but you will strike out in other ways with ugly words and hurtful actions. What I want you to understand is that jealousy is a terrible sin. And right here, we're seeing a great example of jealousy. Matter of fact, listen to what Paul was inspired to write about jealousy. Look at Romans 1.29 with me. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders. What comes first out of that list was jealousy or envy. And then what follows that? Murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander. From Romans 1.29, we see that jealousy starts off and then it has actions that come after it. Jealousy is a terrible sin. It prevents you from taking pleasure in others' success. It robs you of the joy of your own success. It will make you strike out at others. 
And then we saw in verses 12 through 16, the fear that Saul had about David because of the Lord. I mean, it says right here that Saul was afraid because the Lord was with David. And why? Because he had left Saul. Saul keeps giving David higher and higher assignments in the army and probably hoping that David will get killed when he put him out to battle. But in everything that David did, he came back with success because the Lord was with him. Now here's Saul trying to get David killed, but he just ends up giving David the military experience that David's going to need when he becomes king. Everything that Saul does works against the very plan that he has to take care of David. God uses it to truly take care of David for his future. God is doing a great work in David's life. He's taking lemons that are meant to be lemons and making lemonade out of them. See, Saul doesn't get to enjoy any of it because he's all caught up with his jealous eye and his fear that he has of him. It makes me think about the church at Corinth and the bickering and the divisions that were going on there. And Paul had to remind them he planted the seed and Apollos came and watered it, but it was God that made it grow. It wasn't him. It wasn't Apollos. You don't follow Apollos. You don't follow me. You follow God. And the question to ask you today, are you following somebody? Are you following after God? Do you have the Holy Spirit in you leading you after God? Because the things we read about in Romans 1.20 is not what we find in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All those are the fruits of the Spirit. When we are saved and we're following after the Holy Spirit, we don't have jealousy. We don't have envy like we see. We don't have fear. Well, you may be going, Tim, I've really blown this. I've, there's been too many times I've been jealous. I've been envy. Well, listen to what Ecclesiastes said in 7.8. The end of the matter is better than the beginning. And the patient spirit is better than the proud one. What, again, Solomon is saying here is that it doesn't matter how you started. It doesn't matter how you messed up. It's how you finish. Right now, hopefully you'll take this to God. God is knocking on someone's heart and he's telling you, quit carrying his name and being jealous and envying and anger. Give it all to him. Let the Holy Spirit come into your life and walk in the Holy Spirit. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought. Saul should have loved David for all that he was doing. Here, David was leading the men that he had put him in charge of. He's leading these campaigns and he's bringing victory after victory back to Saul. The rest of Israel loved David. The men loved David, but Saul didn't. At first he loved David, but Saul was afraid of David and he was jealous of David. And because of that, he couldn't love him the way he's supposed to. Are you like Saul today? 1 John 4.18 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love, what drives out fear? What I want you to understand is that this is a general principle that applies to all people. Fear is a natural thing, but in love there is no fear. Fear will keep you from loving others. It'll keep you from doing what you should do. But perfect love drives out all fear. Jealousy, we saw today, leads to fear. And fear will keep you from seeing God's work in others. Fear will keep you from loving others as you should. This section of scripture started off with Jonathan and David having this perfect unity in friendship. But then we saw the opposite of that. We saw Saul's jealousy for David. We saw his fear of David. And what it should illustrate to you and to me is a very simple truth that love brings us closer to people, but jealousy and fear drives us apart. 
And if that is true, if love brings us closer, while jealousy and fear drives us apart, then we should seek love and avoid jealousy and fear. Don't you agree with that? Love will bless you with many close friendships and relationships, while jealousy will tear them apart. It will isolate you. It will make you miserable. Jesus not only died to save us from our sins, but to bring us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's only one kingdom, and that kingdom is the kingdom of God, and we are all in this together. We have to have the unity like David and Jonathan had. Today, if for some reason you can't love someone, if you can't look at the heart on the inside, but you only can see the outside and you can't love someone, I ask you to have a real heart check with God today. Ask Him to help you. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. Lord, right now, I pray that you would just open our hearts and let us see that jealousy or that anger or the fruits of the Spirit that aren't there. Lord, let us hand those parts of our life back to you, Lord, so that we can walk closer to you. We can have a closer relationship and we can be truly knitted together just like the early church was. No matter what adversity they went through, they were there with one another and for one another. Lord, I pray for the one right now that's angry over something that happened to them, whether it was a job or it was a divorce, whatever it is, Lord, I pray they'll give it to you. And Lord, for the one that doesn't know you, I pray that they would come to know you today. They would ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, that they will admit that they're a sinner. They would believe on your finished work on the cross and they will confess with their mouth that you are Lord and they'll chase after you. Lord, we thank you for all this. We ask it in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.